in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is born. O come, let us adore him. Let us pray. Almighty and majestic God, you did send the Christ child to be born to us in a manger, whom the angels and all the blessed in heaven praise. And so we ask now that you would grant us in our poverty, in our weakness, the grace to worship you in righteousness here on earth and to serve you according to your good pleasure. May we stand in your holy house in true reverence and with a heavenly mind and with faith adore your glory. Lift up our thoughts and desires to yourself, sanctify our worship, bless our service, and may the praise of our lips be pleasing to you. Hearken to our prayers before the throne of your mercy and bestow upon us in your grace all things necessary for our blessedness through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our first hymn is number 208, O Come, All Ye Faithful.
hear the words that the angel said to Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Therefore, let us seek the forgiveness of God through Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. Let us pray the prayer together that's printed in the bulletin. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, the things done and left undone, and so hold us by your Spirit that we may live and serve you in newness of life to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The holy child is born, and his name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. To those, all those who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all those who have faith in him and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. Holy people of God, our Lord told his disciples to love one another. This is the love of Christian community. It is the love where there are relationships between the people uh, who gather in the name of Jesus Christ. It is a command that you cannot obey without each other. Acts, the book of Acts, gives us an example of such love when it tells us that the early Christians had all things in common. It was one way that this love was practiced. And they distributed their goods to each other as there was need. We love one another when we look out for one another, when we help each other, when we give to each other, when we sacrifice ourselves for each other. Now, there are plenty of examples of self-oriented love in this world. We live at a time when community has failed, when people are mostly concerned for themselves and maybe their families or maybe their close friends, but not for others. And this can happen in the church as well. The church can take on sort of the character of the culture it's in. There's such a thing as a narcissistic Christianity where we are focused on our own spirituality and our own growth in Christ, our own needs and not the needs of others. We are to be a testimony to this one another kind of love that Jesus commands his disciples, not self-love. Now then, love one another as Christ has taught us to do and by his grace enables us to do. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 162, Of the Father's Love Begotten. Oh, 
Let us bring our prayers and petitions to our Heavenly Father. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has given us your one and only Son to take our nature upon himself, being born of the Virgin at the fullness of the time of your salvation. Because your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, accepted his commission to be our Savior and bring us back to you, we pray now as your children adopted into loving communion with you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We hear your word that calls us your beloved children. And now we answer back with our thanksgiving and with our pleas and concerns for your church and the general welfare of all people. O Lord of heaven and earth, keep back the roaring waters of chaos that surround us. Do not let the violent ways of people overthrow this world and flood the earth. Chaos and violence that strikes hard, indifference to human life in political debates, abortion, shootings, threats of new war, and destruction of civilization. By your power, keep us and your whole creation in place. We pray for peace in the war-torn places of this world like Ukraine and Israel and Palestine. Prevent these conflicts from destroying those nations and spilling over into greater and greater areas. And we pray that the governments of this world would execute justice tempered with respect for the dignity of all people, and that power would be tempered with restraint. Here are our prayers for those who rule over us, including our President Joe Biden 
Xi Jinping, the president of China, Lopez Obrador, president of Mexico, and Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel, and others who come to mind who rule in this world. Great is your mercy and compassion to us, O Lord. You exalt those of low degree and fill the hungry with good things, as Mary sang in her song. Give us grace to help the poor and the needy. Give us an unselfish concern for them and embolden us to be protectors of the weak. May we be stirred up by your spirit to notice those in need and come to their aids. And as you have come to our rescue through Jesus Christ, here are prayers for those who have lost loved ones this year, for those who are suffering from lack of shelter and food and other material needs, those names or faces that come to mind. Here are prayers for them. Our most blessed Savior, we pray for your beloved people in Christ. Grow humility in us all. In our busy and sometimes hectic activity, do not let us forget that you have given your church the task of being witnesses to Jesus Christ in word and deed. And we pray that in our use of time, our relationships with our families, our friendship with neighbors, we would proclaim Christ. Here are our prayers for those we know with strained relationships. May our theology and conversations with other churches be for the improvement of gospel proclamation, both here and where we have missions in the world. We pray for the proclamation of Christ in Brighton at Covenant Orthodox Presbyterian Church and with their pastors Doug Dahl and Adam Ostella, and in China with our missionary Sam Folta and his family serving there. Here are our prayers for these. And now, O Lord, we pray for this congregation gathered in this place. We ask that we would continually be kept firm in the faith of Jesus Christ from Lord's Day to Lord's Day. Hear our concerns, strengthen and heal those who are fatigued, who have various ailments and diseases that weaken their bodies and minds and who grieve. We pray for Leah and Eduardo and Shirley, for Jeff and Linda, for Bob and Fawn, for Frida for our friends Tammy and her family, Tara, Kay, Becky, Angie, Karen, Tom, Phil, Dominique, Bob, Jane, and others we name to you in silence. For those who feel the stress of life, who are sleeping poorly or are burned out and tired, whose bodies are out of balance, we ask you to give them rest. Heal them and restore them to good health, and may medical care give wellness to them. We give you thanks for the gifts that we have received, and especially for the coming of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And now these prayers we make in his name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. And now we pray our prayer of illumination as we prepare to hear God's word read and preached. Let us pray. Oh, God above, God of light, you are the light of the world, and you have come to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and you continue to come to us by your Spirit to... Uh, dispel, to disperse the darkness in our hearts and minds and in the world. We pray that you would come this morning, open our hearts to hear your word, that we would be strengthened in our faith and enabled to follow our beloved Savior, Christ the Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. We begin in Genesis their Old Testament reading. Chapter 11, the first nine verses. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. 
and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Our Psalter response is printed in the bulletin. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More than number of the hairs of my head are those who make me without cause. Mighty are O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who seek, let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Turn with me next to Romans chapter 5. Beginning in verse 6. For while we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, have now been rec- we, ha- we now have received reconciliation. And our gospel reading from John. Beginning with chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The word of the Lord. When you hear John 3.16, that verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, what do you think of? Well, I think of football games and evangelicals. I don't know if it happens as much now, but at one time it was quite common to see someone at a televised professional football game holding up a sign that read John 3.16. John 3.16 was also one of the go-to verses for evangelicals trying to communicate the gospel to other people. John 3.16 is a well-known Bible verse. However, what does not come to my mind when I hear John 3.16 is Christmas. But why not? It has a reference to Jesus Christ coming into the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The gift of God's son is what Christmas is all about. The eternal Son, Jesus Christ, became man. And there you have it, Christmas. But it is not just another verse of Scripture that reinforces the focus on Christ at Christmas. It also also magnifies what God was doing and how we are to respond. John 3.16 speaks of the world. The world is the cosmos with particular attention to humanity, to us. We only have a cropped view of the world and what's happening in it. We are only able to comprehend a small part of the big picture. 
It's like looking at someone else's photographs of a trip they took to another country. Holding one of their photographs in our hands, we stare at the nicely framed subject in it. But outside the borders of the picture is so much more. You know there's more, but you really don't know what is on the, outside that, that frame. Even a landscape shot does not give you all the dimensions of what it looks like in that place and what's going on all around behind the frame of that picture. I've been in some scenic places, and you know how you can set your camera to that, that panoramic sort of fo focus. But even then, there's a limit and a frame to what you see. And it's like that for us. We can only take in so much of the world. Some can take in more of it than others, but even they are not able to completely comprehend it. And not only is our perception of the world cropped, it is so easily distorted. We think we see one thing, and it turns out to be something entirely different. I was once in a park on a beautiful, warm Saturday in May. Sorry to bring up beautiful, warm, sunny day in May. It was a perfect day for sitting on a bench and feeling the warm sun on my face. And nearby, I noticed a man lying on his back in the grass, asleep. He looked relaxed and enjoying the day like I was. And suddenly, an ambulance came screaming up to the curb. Out jumped the paramedics. They ran over to the man and started working on him. And I found out later that instead of relaxing in the sun, he had been in a diabetic coma. And it's like that with how we see the world. We don't see it quite the way it is. Now today, almost everyone is keenly aware that this world is topsy-turvy with trouble and disaster. And I can name just a few human crises to help you understand what I mean. And I don't even have to explain them. Ukraine and Russia, right? Israel and Hamas. I read that 90% of the fentanyl that comes into this country for illicit purposes is destroying people, but it comes over the border from Mexico, 90% of it. There were 3,008 people shot within the limits of the city of Chicago this year. 631 of them were killed. Unstable or violent governments and terrorist organizations make serious threats and they launch missiles. Our society keeps redefining the moral boundaries of what is right and what is wrong or what they think is right and wrong according to what pleases us and what our technology can do. And there are countless examples of that. And the weak and the vulnerable are often mistreated, sometimes denied care, and even killed. The world is a topsy-turvy place full of trouble and disaster. And the world has launched many of its own rescue missions. Lawsuits against drug manufacturers, military operations, or aid to other armies, Homeland Security, the Literacy Project, Oxfam, therapeutic counseling. The city of Chicago plans to build a huge shelter space and a park for migrants. Medical doctors promise life-changing gender surgeries. Some of, of these rescue missions have been helpful. There's no question they've been helpful. All of them are limited in scope, and some of them have only contributed more to the troubles. The Word of God tells us that the whole world needs to be rescued. God is the one who sees the world in its entirety from top to bottom, inside and out. He knows its beginning. He knows its end. God knows every single one of us, every single one of you in the world. God knows the world through and through without any distortion or a cropped view like we have. And not just cities or states or regions of the world, the whole world. 
and not just our medical community or our schools or our government or a few nations, but the entire human race, the whole world. There are our rescue operations in this world, and then there is God's rescue operation. And that's what God's word tells us about today from the Gospel of John. God has not looked upon this world in nauseated disgust. Now, he could have, because it's disgusting what's going on in our world. Things like what happened to women and children in conflict zones in Haiti and Israel, they horrify us, they fill us with anger. When I read a news story about a man walking up to a grandfather who was pushing a stroller with his grandchild in it, he was crossing the street with his pushing the stroller, and a guy came walking across the street, sucker punched him, the, the grandfather in the gut, and then kicked him when he was down, and then took off. And when I hear stories like that, it rips me apart. Or when a government steals food and medical aid intended for its starving citizens, such as what happened in Ethiopia, and tries to resell it. We are appalled. In his uh, sermon or commentary on this verse in John, uh, this uh, verse John 3.16, the church father Augustine described what the world means. And it's not a neutral word like the way we use it today. Augustine says the world has become a lump of sin. And by this he did not mean that everything about the world is ugly and rotten. He didn't mean that at all. What he meant is that it's full of sin. It's corrupted. With every punch... With every missile strike, with every assault, with every rape, with every theft, with every act of self-centeredness, humanity rejects God, which is sin. And yet, the Gospel of John tells us that God loves the world. For God so loved the world, says John, this world God loves. This world, as we heard in our Old Testament lesson from Genesis, that, with that story of the Tower of Babel. It tells of the nations of the world coming together in rebellion against God and saying, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. And not just any earthly name, but the name of God, the name of the ultimate. It was a direct assault against God. This world has become utterly hostile to God. It has produced such books as The God Delusion, God is Not Great, The Myth of God Incarnate, A world that laughs at God, that mocks God, that turns away from him in contempt. It's like schoolyard bullies. Many in the world incessantly ridicule God, hoping to chase him away. But when the world realizes that it cannot run God off, then it pretends he's not there. This world that has turned away from God and has gone its own way, and what a way it is. The way of giving unlimited license to its passionate cravings contrary to God's commands. The way of self-deluded greatness that kills the weak whom God has created in his image. Every human being, in their weakness and their strength, bears the image of God, albeit corrupted by sin, but it's still there. The world's way is the way of deceit to get what we want, making violent acts against other people a spectacle sport. And rather than relying on God, this hostile world would rather solve its own problems, like a little child throwing a fit, lying on the ground, kicking and screaming because he wants to do it his way. This world that would prefer not to talk about God unless it is to curse him, not to honor him as its creator and Lord, not to worship him and him alone, not to sing his praise and call to him for help. The world, you see, is purposefully opposed to God. 
And as far as this world is concerned, God is in our way. He's our enemy. This is our world, our world. We're not just in it, we're part of it. Our big, ugly, disfigured, ruined world. God loves this world. God loves the human race. If we follow what the Gospel of John says about humanity uh, in this world, it's striking. If we were to start at the beginning of the Gospel of John and read at least to where we are in chapter 3, it's striking what it says about humanity in this world. At the beginning of John, we are told that God created the world through his word, through Jesus Christ. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. God created the world and gave it its life and light to live by. But then John tells us that incredibly, this world of humanity did not respond to God with gratitude. It had no relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. It says, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. It did not know its creator. God created the world through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave it life and light. And what did the world do? It rebuffed him. It spurned him. It rejected him. It mocked him. It did not receive him when he came. But God did not rebuff the world. He gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. And it's astounding when you think about it. God loves this world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. It's love that's generated from within God. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is united in that love. Jesus says that the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world. This is the divine love. It's the love of God within the being of God. Now, when someone, when someone loves someone else, you would expect gifts to be given to the beloved, right? Right? Because the Father loves the Son, he should give gifts to him. But the Father gives the Son to the world. What an amazing love God has for us. The Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit give their love to this world, and it's beyond comprehension. A world turned hostile to God, and yet God loves it. The prophets in the Old Testament spoke of the incomprehensible greatness of God's love to Israel. Israel, who is much sort of reflects what happened with the whole world, Israel who turned against God like an unfaithful spouse, just like the rest of the world. But God says in the prophets, I will heal their faithlessness and I will love them freely. The gospel even says more than that. It says, for God so loved the world, not just Israel, but the world that he gave his only son. And the apostles continue to proclaim the extraordinary greatness of God's love for the world. And we heard part of it from the letter to the Romans. But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amazement for this kind of love has never disappeared from the church. When the church has had the gospel at its center and has, has uh, been aware of this love that has come to us through Jesus Christ, it has been amazed. And amazed is just such a wimpy word, but it's what I came up with. The church has staggered and fallen down in wonder and joy because of God's love. 
praising him and giving thanks to him week after week because he has loved us with so great a love. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul. We sing that hymn sometimes. God loves this nauseatingly horrifying world, this lump of sin. God loves us. Now, because of his love for this world, God rescues it. Our gospel lesson tells us that he is rescuing it by his saving judgment. Now, it's unlike any other kind of rescue mission we've ever known, and I've been around some pretty serious rescue missions. Several years ago, I took my children backpacking in the Maroon Bells Wilderness in Colorado. We pulled into the parking lot, and immediately we saw Forest Service search and rescue trucks and ambulances and search dogs with their handlers. Two helicopters were hovering up above, above the peaks, and it was a major operation, and it must have cost a lot of money to pull it off. I asked a forest ranger what was going on, and she said two hikers were missing, and someone had seen one of them signaling for help high up on a, on a ledge up on one of the peaks on a cliff. The next day, they found one of the hikers alive and took him to a hospital. The other hiker was found dead. Now, when we get our act together, we can pull off an impressive rescue mission. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't pull together the resources of this world to rescue us. He doesn't pull together our money and military might and our digital equipment and then save us. His rescue operation is not like anything else. God sends his unique son to save us. And that's why we must listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we're not going to hear or understand the rescue mission of God from anything else except from this gospel of Jesus Christ. God's salvation is a judgment of our sin, and it rescues us from our sin. That's what the Gospel of John said in our text. God enacts his saving judgment of this world through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world to save it, which means he judges that we need to be saved. The world needed to be saved long before the mess that we see today. You know, we think things are topsy-turvy and a mess right now. But it's long before this that the world needed to be saved. The world was sinking in its sin ever since it rebelled against God. The world fell into the pit of disobedience and death. The dark shadows of death came over the world and we lay within its grasp. The entire world was mired in the clunky mud of its sin and it could not get out of the mud no matter how hard it tried. God gave his son because this world really does need to be rescued. We don't just need spiritual direction. We don't just need to know that there is a God. We don't just need social action. We need to be rescued. The world will perish in its sin. God judges the world, but not just not, just, not to reject it as ruined. In Christ, God's judgment of the world is in order to save it. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Merry Christmas. Jesus came to rescue us from sin and death to give us new life with God. And he does this by becoming a man in this world, being lifted up on the cross in death and rising again in new life. He defeats our sin and death. He raises us up to God, and we are rescued by God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now, we must respond to what God has done. We can disregard God's word and look at our own little snapshot of the world and decide, oh, things aren't are bad, but they're not so bad that we can't fix it. 
We don't need God to rescue us. We will accept some help from him, but we don't really need him to go to all that trouble to save us. False alarm. And so we will not believe in Jesus Christ as the one given to us by God to rescue us. Or we can believe in Jesus as the Son of God who saves us from the destruction of our sin. If we don't believe in Jesus, then we shall continue to belong in this hostile world shrouded in death and we shall perish. If we do believe in Jesus Christ as the one who saves us, then we shall have new life with God and we are to live in that life that begins now with the community of Christ's people, the church. Believing in Jesus Christ is not just knowing about God's salvation, it's committing ourselves to him to live in faith and obedience to him with, his, with our fellow disciples. See, we can't hear this gospel and be an outside observer and just look at it. We have to commit, we have to, make, uh, you know, to respond to it. So it comes down to whether we believe in Jesus Christ as God's gift to us for salvation or not. As you follow Jesus Christ in this world with its crises and political changes and international tensions and scientific breakthroughs, don't trust anything other than Jesus Christ to save you from sin and death. Now, you may find aid within this world for your troubles in this life, but none of it will rescue this world. Only God's gift of Jesus Christ saves the world from its sin and ruin. Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast with your church the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Having heard the word of God preached, let us stand and proclaim our faith, uh, profess, confess, I'm sorry, confess our faith with the creed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we prepare to come to the Lord's table is number 211, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen.
scriptures, the word of God gives us wonderful promises about um, our reunion and being reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. And one of them, Christ himself, speaks in the Gospel of Matthew. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a meal that's not like any other meal that you will ever eat. This is a meal set apart by our Lord Jesus Christ for his disciples, for the church. And so we always hear the words of institution when we celebrate this meal because they set it off from any other meal you have. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was arrested, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, there are a lot of things that can be said about this covenant meal. Uh, about this, this uh, meal that we celebrate, this Lord's Supper, but a covenant meal is one of them. We come here uh, surrendering our wills and being responsible to God alone. When we come and partake at this table, we are saying that Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth and our Lord. And so there's that relationship that's defined by coming to this meal. And it's a covenantal relationship. No longer is our task to just simply adjust to our world and society as it rolls along. We are to be obedient to God's will above every other will. His will is supreme. And our pledge as we come to this table is to live as faithful members of God's community of grace and peace, which is the church. We join hands with our fellow Christians in a common loyalty to God, and all of this is laid upon us if we partake of the Lord's Supper. Here in this covenant meal, we belong to Christ, and we also have a commitment to each other. This is the Lord's table. He invites us to feast with him. Those who come to this holy meal promise to trust and love and obey him as the Lord of every realm of life and to live in love and concern for each other. All who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ and are communicant members, or another way of maybe saying that is belonging to a Christian church, are identified with the Christian church, who are welcome to come and share this joyful feast of our Lord. If not, we're glad you're here, but you need to be um, identified with Christ and his people in those three visible ways. Publicly professing your faith, being baptized, and then being united with the, uh, with the church. Let us then come to the Lord's table and rejoice for what he has done for us and how he has brought us together. Please join me in celebrating and receiving this holy communion that is set before us and how Christ builds us up with it, with it and gives us, uh, strengthens our life and faith in him. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give you thanks and praise. Almighty and most holy Father, you have created us, you've created all things, and you alone are worthy of our praise and blessing. All glory be to you. We have waited for your promised Savior, and you have not disappointed us. You have sent your beloved Son, born in lowliness, tiny and naked, but honored as the King who would give himself for our salvation. He passed through every stage of our existence in order to heal our lives in full, 
and on to the cross where he died for our sins and was raised for our justification. Ascending in glory, he brought all those who were joined with him by your spirit and in faith into your divine presence, where we are received as your beloved children. And therefore, with the host of heaven, who sing, and the angels who came and said, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, we give thanks for the gift of our Savior Jesus Christ. And we cry out with them, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Along with Jesus' most precious offering of himself, so we pray, take these gifts of the bread and the cup, set them apart for your holy use, so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may feed upon our Savior Jesus Christ in faith, and again be set apart as your holy people. To Jesus Christ, with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit, we make our great thanksgiving. We submit ourselves completely to your holy will and your purpose for us all the days of our life. And this we give, we this thanksgiving we give together and say, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Thank you. 
Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. God, our Father, whose word has come among us in the holy child of Bethlehem, may the light of faith illumine our hearts and shine in our words and deeds through him who is Christ the Lord, in whose name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Our final hymn is number 311, Hail to the Lord's Anointed.
Please be seated. And a very good morning and uh, happy Christmas Eve to you all. Um, on, the, uh, on the note of Christmas Eve, there will not be Christian education this morning, but we will uh, reunite, at least those of us who are uh, available, at 6 p.m. tonight for an uh, evening service of lessons and carols. Uh, that is 6 p.m., which is, I believe, uh, an hour earlier than uh, in, in most years previously. I believe we are still looking for one reader, so if anybody is attending um, that is willing to read one of the lessons, that would be great, and you can... I also have the readings, so if you've signed up, you come up here, I'll give it to you, it has the number, the order of the readings, and then um, that way you probably have a little more sense of when you come up. Um, But the readings will be up here, so you don't need to bring that up with you. But anyway, so if you're a reader, come up, and I'll give you your reading. And if there is one more person who'd like to read, sing me. Very good. Um, the Wilsons will be traveling uh, over the next week to spend uh, holiday time with their, uh, with their family. So um, Pastor uh, Steve Gonzalez will be here uh, to lead uh, with us next week. He's, uh, I would say, probably our most frequent uh, uh, leader from from the pulpit when uh, when Jeff can't be here, so um, I believe that's all I have. Unless, yes, Mrs. Kelly. So for those of you at home, prayers requested for uh, Mrs. Kelly's sister, Kay, uh, who is having um, cancer procedure on the morning of the 28th. So prayers are requested for that. Yes, Mrs. Wilson. Good. So, uh, for those of you again at home, um, Mrs. Wilson expressed gratitude for uh, how this family has supported her children through the years, and also expressed uh, gratitude that her children will be able to be with the family uh, over Christmas for a wedding. So, prayers are requested for traveling mercies for uh, Hannah and Rebecca's families. I also noticed that Jace is already top billing in his family, and the other two have been demoted to. Jace's handlers. <laughs> Anyone else? 
Fantastic. Well then, I wish you good morning and uh, enjoy some coffee and time together. <laughs>